markets are a little mixed today. It seems they're being pulled in two directions. Is inflation peaking and therefore there could be a soft landing? Or is there more to come and a recession to boot? It seems only the UK has a clear picture. The Bank of England has made it very clear they're warning of five consecutive quarters of negative growth as inflation kicks higher. And it won't come down in a hurry, they're saying. At least they're moving any uncertainty from the picture, aren't they? But maybe a new prime minister will change that. We'll look at that today. Plus, Aussie trade numbers yesterday. Uh, we take a look at those and non-farm payrolls tonight. Keep a look out for the hourly earnings numbers. It's Friday, the 5th of August, 2022. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, the US dollar is 0.7% lower today. The euro is 0.8% higher. The pound is also up 0.2%. The Aussie up almost half a percent to 69.8 US cents. US stocks are mixed, but generally they haven't moved that far. The uh, the Dow is down a quarter percent at the close. The S&P 500 has risen just 0.1%. The Nasdaq is up 0.4%, whereas the uh, euro stocks 50 today has climbed 0.6% at the European close. Ten-year Treasury yields down five basis points, down two for ten-year gilt in the UK, but elsewhere in Europe, bigger falls in bond yields, between 7 and 9 basis points uh, for much of the EU. Australian 10 years, uh, they were down 7 basis points at the end of the day yesterday at 3.14%, down a few basis points since then on the futures, and oil falling even lower, another 2.5% off WTI, down to 88.40 now. Brent is below 94 after a 3% fall overnight. So the Bank of England, the uh, key event overnight, we'll look at that in a moment with Gavin Friend from NAB in London, but generally the markets today, Gavin, it feels like they don't know which way to turn. That's uh, morning, Phil. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. They are conflicted, aren't they? I mean, we've had this sort of push-me-pull-you, you know, the rundown in yields post the Fed last week and then the pushback uh, from various Fed speakers in terms of they could see an unwanted easing in uh, uh, financial conditions, and we had those speakers out earlier this week. We had, again, on Thursday, Loretta Mester um, reiterating the central message, front-loading rate hikes, the need for her to see several months of lower inflation prints. I mean, the, the key line really is uh, is compelling rather than several months, I think, for the committee as a whole. But, you know, it's kind of um, conducive to yields sideways to a little bit lower. I think the Bank of England has got something to do, but we'll come on to that in a second. I mean, there was a little bit of, a, I guess, pessimism in the broader market on the equity side, a couple of earnings misses. Um, the weekly jobless claims continued their sort of very steady grind higher. You know, nothing really to shout about. But to your point, I mean, it, it leaves yield curves, you know, certainly the sort of inversion that we're seeing in two tens, five tens is there. The um, sort of more important sort of harbingers of recession there, you know, the three-month, 10-year isn't into negative territory yet, but it's getting down towards there, uh, as is Powell's reported favourite measure, which is the three-month, 18-month, three-month forward, getting down towards it. Still positive, but getting that way. And oil, as you say, all of this stuff is um, is indicative of a, of a sort of a, a nervousness out there. Yeah, and It can be read in two ways as well, can't it? Because you mean oil obviously is lower because there's lower demand, which is not a good thing. But then if it's bringing down inflation, then that is a, is, is a good thing. You know, it's, it's difficult to know with a lot of this stuff, like Loretta Mester as well, you know, saying inflation uh, is, is going up and they're going to have to do more, but then inflation is going to come down quickly. So that's good news. I mean, it's it's difficult to know. Uh, for every bit of news, uh, you can read it one of two ways. I think we shouldn't overlook um, the role of central banks here. And, you know, we, we talked about, we mentioned the Bank of England just now. And clearly, you know, what they were saying today, 
is um, it's. I mean, it, the Bank of England um, has been um, sort of remarkably candid uh, in its an extremely bleak economic outlook it did today. I mean, it raised rates by against their better judgment. It opted for the for the larger of the two sort of policy options. It went for 50 basis points to 1.75%. That's the biggest rate, rate rise in 27 years. Um, and then it, you know, it, it, it released a view of the economy, uh, which was really, you know, quite, um, quite tragic, really. So um, growth from Q4 this year expected to go negative and last through to the back end of 2023, um, you know, five consecutive quarters of negative growth. And really then no, no growth to speak of throughout the whole of 2025. So that leaves growth at the sort of back end of that year, um, the three-year horizon in Q3, sort of really below where we are um, the peak of this year on a sort of a levels basis. Same time, they've they now forecast unemployment is going to rise from the current 3.8 to 6.3. That's up from a 5.5% forecast in May. Why did the bank do this? Because, number one, energy price spike, mainly on the back of the Ukraine war, of which the Bank of England you know, has no control over, um, is now expected to see UK energy prices, the cap there, uh, rise not by 40%, but by 75%. Now, that's on top of the 13% rise we saw in October last year, the 54% rise we saw in April. An average, it'll take average energy bills in the UK so it's from about 1,200 a year to about £3,500 a year. And this is why in the um, statement Thursday, CPI for the Bank of England is now seen at 13, over 13% from a peak of, t- of 10.2. But here's the thing. I mean, it's not quite as bad it's not quite as grim in Europe, is it? And yet you would have thought, you know, that they have a bigger problem. They've got more reliance on mm. Russian gas, uh, but they're not facing the same consequences that we're seeing in the UK. And that is because in Europe, I presume this is the reason, in Europe they are subsidising. They're using fiscal measures. It's a bit easier, obviously, because there's more uh, state-owned, more, more or less state-owned uh, uh, utility companies there. Uh, so they are able to, to subsidise. So therefore, prices aren't going up quite as much. Therefore, the central bank doesn't need to do quite as much. Uh, in the UK, it's all yeah. falling into the hands of the Bank of England because there's no fiscal measures from the government. That's, that's right. It's a really good point. I mean, there is one energy price really in Europe, but actually um, the sort of individual countries are responsible for the fiscal stimulus they provide. And that does seem to be the case that they are in aggregate providing a, a, a better buffer, a, big, a bigger fiscal stimulus than the UK government is. And I think if you look at the Bank of England's inflation forecast, you know, they've got inflation going higher, but then crashing down really in 2024 to 2% um, on the market curve, which is rates to just, bit, just around 3% by um, Q3 2024. If they did nothing and they left rates at 1.75%, the Bank of England thinks in its forecasts that inflation will still come down to 2% by the end of 2024, just a quarter later. So you could say all else equal, they could do nothing now and inflation will come down. The problem is, and this is this comes back to your point, um, the bank detects second round effects building in. So they, they cite their own survey uh, of two and a half thousand businesses where who see average earnings or average wages, they're paying, they reckon, 
5.5% over the last year, and they reckon another 5.2% this year. That's above the kind of national and the ONS surveys that we see of around 4% wage settlements. And it has spooked the bank into thinking this becomes embedded. You're not really seeing that in Europe, potentially because of those fiscal transfers that are going along, So or the subsidies. So it, it creates its own problem. Yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a negative feedback loop. And... Um, You've got this horrible toxic mix then of ever higher inflation. If it feeds into people getting these big inflation inflationary pay pay rounds, then it, it, it becomes self-fulfilling and the bank has to do does, more, even though growth is, is cratering. Yeah, now when you haven't really got a government, you know, you're too busy deciding uh, who's going to be running it and uh, so everything stalls. Well, that's the, that's the interesting thing, isn't it? What's, none mm. of this takes account of what's happening, going to happen to fiscal policy uh, when the new prime minister comes in, and things will change yeah. then, for, for good or bad, we'll because they've both got very going. different views, well, haven't they? But so, yes. um, so okay. So, what's this doing to the pound? And, and you know, how have the markets reacted generally? It seems like there was a there yeah. was a bit of a reaction then, uh, like so often happens, uh, it, a bit of a turnaround after that. Yeah, there was a big sell off in the pound originally, over a percent against the dollar, again against the Aussie and the Kiwi and the euro. It's reversed most of those gains, apart from against the euro. Uh, which is a little strange, but again, maybe maybe to that point we've just discussed. Um, and there was a again a big move down in in in, uh, in gilt yield, sort of nearly twenty basis points at the two year, half that on the tens, two thirds of that move have been unwound. Again, it points to the lack of clarity on what here. You've got the market saying, oh, we're going to go again, probably by fifty basis points the next two meetings. That's not, a, you know, that's not, it wouldn't be our view. And it's certainly, you know, um, a view that can be challenged, if you like, given the uncertainty. Mm. And I think we really need to see what happens to this economy, you know, as we go through the fall um, uh, when, when you know, it gets much tougher on energy prices. And again, yeah. to that point yeah. of, you know, what's so what the about, fiscal so, response? So let's look at Europe because the, cause the situation in Europe is less uh, intense and maybe that is because, as we've been saying, there's been some sort of fiscal response. But also, you know, are they over the worst of it? So German factory orders for June, they've just come out. They were down, but not as much expected, a 0.4% month-on-month fall compared to a revised uh, 0.2% fall in May. Uh, but, you know, it was expected that it was going to be falling much further than that. So so this is interesting. A, a big part of the decline is... Uh, is non-euro area foreign orders, which were down 4.3%. So in other words, that, that's a factor of, uh, you know, orders. For the, presumably the US would be part of that in China. They're the two sort of non-euro export destinations for German goods, aren't they? Yeah, I don't think we should be surprised by those findings. I mean, that's consistent mm. with what we're seeing with the supply disruptions. But it's quite heartening that actually domestic demand and, and, and orders in sort of consumer goods are, are holding yeah. up quite well, um, yeah. which is not really consistent with the collapsing confidence that you're seeing and the readings on the PMIs. Um, I guess there's a sort of a filling, fulfilling back orders and that kind of thing that's going on there. Um, but certainly not surprised by the falling away of the non-Eurozone orders. Um, it just shows you, I guess, that, um, you know, it's, it's going to be, I mean, you, you talked about things, are things getting over the worst there in Europe? Absolutely not. We're heading into, you know, we've still got the winter to come. We know the stories today about the um, levels of the uh, of water on the Rhine, where, you know, um, countries like Germany there are trying desperately, actually water levels across Europe, so it's affecting France as well. You know, they're trying to go to move away from gas and onto alternative 
energy and so in france they use the waterways for cooling on the nuclear reactors there's a problem there on the rhine they can't uh, get the coal tugs up and down the rhine or they get, may have to shut the rhine i mean where, wherever they turn it seems that there's a bit of a roadblock and yeah. so it, you know i suspect it's going to get uh, going to get tougher before it gets easier um we've got to see what uh, progress that Europe makes in terms of this mandatory 15% easing up of, uh, of gas over the next uh, few months. And how much LNG they can get in uh, from uh, ports to the south as well, of course. Not so, a lot. Um, <laughs> uh, well, you know, it'll have to do a big gap to fill, isn't Not it? Not there to be uh, so, yeah. And Australia's trade data yesterday, uh, so we had a, a fall in imports. Well, the, the growth slowed just 0.7% up month on month in June, but uh, f- from a revised 5% growth in May. But of course, imports have been very high, haven't they? And we can't expect them to keep rising. But we had a fall in exports as well, but not the, not as much as uh, perhaps we're expecting. And I guess the good news is education and tourism. They are coming back, which is helping with that export figure. Yeah, I mean, 17.7. That was actually um, the second uh, consecutive record uh, monthly, monthly trade surplus. surplus. Um, mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the, the record high... Um, uh, was driven by uh, just over a five billion rise in export values. Not a surprise with iron ore doing what it's doing, uh, rural exports and volatile non-monetary gold exports. But there's also a big, a bit of a pickup in volumes. You know, data on that's a bit sketchy. But if you just look, the month of June is typically the month in the year where iron exports to iron ore exports to China do pick up and hit their records. In June this year, 44 million tons. That's the second highest on record after June 2020. On the price side, iron ore was up 5.5% on the month, uh, while overall coal prices stabilised. I mean, to your point, um, on on travel, you know, outbound Australian travel has picked up, as you would expect, as Australians venture abroad now that they're desperate to get away. And you're thinking about on the other side, the sort of, you know, the tourism-related exports. So this is the sort of inbound tourism and education. Yeah. That's yeah. starting to pick up. It rose 6.6.5%. Um, and yet you've got something like uh, 42,000 student visa applications in June, another 10,000 per week in July that suggests that this is all picking up to bigger levels than we saw uh, you know, prior to the pandemic. And so you're going to start to see that benefit, the trade uh, surplus mm. as well. So, you know, in terms of trade for, for Australia, it's um, it's a really good picture, isn't it? Yeah, it's totally ahead, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, well, it's good to, you know, more or less finish on good news. I mean, we've got the RBA statement on monetary policy as well today. I'm not, not sure there's going to be much in that that we didn't discover on Tuesday. For example, we know that the RBA is, is up their inflation forecasts. Uh, is there anything else that we should be looking out for? Yeah, no, I mean, that's the thing really, isn't it? Um, so, you know, um, seven and three quarter percent inflation at N22, I mean, it's, it's a percent higher than it was at 4% rather than three at 2023 and unemployment at three and a half. I mean, there's a, there's a, there's a you know, the RBA is forecasting a gentle uptick in the jobless rates is at a 4%. I mean, a stylized soft landing scenario, but mm. the risks are skewed. You know, if wages, as we suspect, might be, um, um, a little bit hotter than that, then you know there's a there's a there's a there's a risk there. The RB needs to take a more of a sort of a restrictive path. Well, I mean yeah. that's the true, I guess. Yeah, as, as we're saying, if all these industries start coming back and uh, there's a shortage of people, then that's exactly what's going to happen, isn't it? And talking about wages, I guess that's the main thing that we're going to be looking for in non-farm payrolls. I mean, the Fed presumably would like to see fewer people in work. That would make them immensely happy. Uh, not for the people involved, of course, but you know they want to see that uh, that labour market easing and uh, obviously you know getting rid of the any fears of, uh, of of wage pressures 
Yeah, I mean, we know from things like anecdotal evidence from firms, uh, the jolts data, job hirings are kind of easing off a little bit there. There's a few layoffs, a few freezes. Um, so, you know, we, we'd expect a, a low, the market expects a lower overall number at 250 jobs uh, versus from 372. I think your point is right about average average hourly earnings. 0.3 is what we're expecting on the month, 4.9 from 5.1 on the year. I mean, that's, t- that's sort of tentatively rolling over. I think maybe if the... Um, if the, if the participation rate picked up, I mean, that's, it's low. It's not anywhere near where the sort of highs that it was prior to the pandemic. If that were to pick up, it would be a sort of a welcome sign that basically people are being, um, you know, sort of uh, tantalized back into the labor market because, you know, pensions perhaps ain't what they were with the equities coming down, the tightening financial conditions, and that would perhaps fill some of that gap in terms of the missing workers, um, yeah. But I think if you were, you know, in the current market, you know, lower earnings, um, that would help the risk side, if you like, also a higher participation rate or a downside on the headlining um, job uh, creation. I mean, all these things are going to play to that, you know, as we talk about the overall discussion, what's driving markets and which way they're going to lean. You know, those are the things that would play to that kind of more favorable risk tone i guess certainly there will be a lot of focus on that today absolutely anyway good to talk we'll leave it there for now good to have you on again gavin catch you again sometime soon i'm cheers, sure sir. thank cheers. you cheers and that's it that's the morning call for today and also for this week i'm phil dobby for now back again on monday morning i'll see you then thanks for listening